The camera can become a window into a world enhanced with digital information. Adding a piece of sculpture to your bedroom or a car to your driveway, neither actually there, but appearing to be and believably so. This is fundamentally what connects augmented reality and journalism. It is a new pathway that can lead away from the abstract depiction of objects and toward a more visceral sense of real life scale and physicality. Stories that describe our three-dimensional world can be delivered in the round, in front of you. Want a closer look at that sculpture? No need to pinch your phone's screen to zoom. Just walk up to it. For a different angle, there's no swiping to the next image. Just walk around it. All of this written by this guy. Uh, hey, I'm Graham Roberts. I am the director of immersive platform storytelling at the New York Times, where we are exploring um, what this new world of immersive means through virtual reality and augmented reality features, and um, looking at how that might change the way we consume media in the present and near future. This is a really special episode. I'm joined at the New York Times by my friend Kamari Rennes. You met Kamari in an episode titled Video Games with My Teacher. In addition to being a junior at the Dream Yard Prep uh, Public High School in the South Bronx, Kamari is a really talented writer. She writes video game reviews for the New York City Video Game Critics Circle. And she's a gamer, somebody who's inspired by her own experiences with immersive technologies. When I started to think about who would be right to join me on such an exciting experience, visiting the Times, talking about how the Times is pushing the field of journalism forward through new technologies. Who better to do it with than a young journalist and technologist herself? As always, don't forget that if podcasts were a jukebox, you'd have to put a quarter in the machine. Well, in the old days. And putting a quarter in the machine today means clicking a button. Like us, rate us wherever you download this show. Join me on Facebook slash No Such Thing Podcast. Enjoy the show. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. So, Graham, thanks for doing this. Uh, first off, I'm grateful for your time and uh, also really grateful to be here. This is an amazing, you know, being at the Times and we're... I can actually see from where we are the uh, like the what do we call it? It's the newsroom, but like what's yeah. the main floor there? The news desk. Here. News the, desk. The heart of the newsroom. Yeah. Um, it feels really uh, alive, and um, you know, it's probably to you a little sleepy on like a Friday afternoon, but um, it it feels like there's a lot of purpose in this building, which is is really um, nice for me. It's great to hear most people. Um, actually complain about how quiet it is when I bring them there. They want to hear like a lot of clacking of keyboards <laughs> as if people are still just hammering away on typewriters and yelling copy across the, right. the way and a lot of pandemonium and it always seems very like, you know, is anything happening here? But Right. 
I figured that would come shortly. Oh yeah. Is that not going to happen? Um, well, we'll, we'll see. Right. Um, so, so first off, one of the things that would be super helpful is just to, in your words, sort of define, um, if every time I have these conversations about immersive technology, I think it's really important to define for people who are trying to wrap their heads around what all of this means, where in the spectrum you're working. So in your words, if you can describe um, what your studio at the Times has been most focused on in terms of what type of VR. Um, so how are people accessing it? What kind of stuff is it covering and and sort of um, what the goals typically are as it relates to the times and its mission? Yeah, um, well, I think it's really changed a bit and evolved as this program has uh, kind of come together over time. I'd say that the first time that Times really um, experimented with what you could call immersive storytelling was with um, virtual reality and our NYT VR platform, which we launched at the end of 2015. Yeah, uh, that was mainly about uh, immersive video, 360 video, and bringing people to places, giving them that sense of presence um, in a story, and understanding what that would mean for how we would tell stories and how that could um, build on the other ways that we um, communicate uh, ideas to our readers. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of what immersive meant. Well, it was really before we were calling anything immersive, but for 2016 and 2017. Um, this year was uh, the first time that we launched um, an augmented reality capability, which has been uh, a bit different. It, while NYT VR was its own and is its own standalone app, uh, we built AR functionality directly into the core New York Times app. Um, and a lot of the work, um, what we continue to do, um, 360 video and that kind of immersive video work, a lot of what we've done this year um, has been uh, projects built on the on that AR functionality. And it's, it's a different kind of approach. It's a bit more of like moments that come within interactive articles rather than a press play kind of um, idea. Um, so, yeah, I think it's the kind of thing where we have to uh, look at what's happening in the landscape and, and change our approach as technologies change and, and where audiences are shifts. So when you when you think about um, when you think about the times, uh, the times mission um, and sort of informing the public and and uh, how do you feel like the, the work that you do with uh, immersive experiences? How do you how do you feel like it um, uniquely adds to that or um, is um, Im impacts? Uh, the reader viewer in uh, in new and exciting ways as it relates to sort of how they're taking in what's happening around them. Yeah. So the the whole kind of reason we started to explore AR, you know, I think we noticed that there was this really powerful technology that was being used for things that didn't seem very valuable. The way AR was being used was mainly for fun. I mean, not that fun is invaluable, but 
it's a dancing hot dog or it's uh, making your face look fun with a mask or something. Right. But, but the underlying technology is incredible that allows for these things. And so I was curious, um, you know, how might that um, enhance what we can do with visual storytelling um, as part of the New York Times report? Um, we started doing a lot of R&D around that, trying to figure out what ways that that could actually be compelling and eventually um, arrived at what I'd call, you know, an editorial vision for what can you do with these things now on these devices that people have today, <clears throat> mobile phones. Um, so I can kind of go into that editorial vision a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like a four part vision. Um, the first um, part was that we could use AR to help um, with the understanding of scale. Yeah. This was kind of a low hanging fruit for, for this, I think. Um, scale is a really hard thing to convey on, on a mobile phone on its own. But now with augmented reality, we're able to project information at scale into this into your space um, with the and and now the context of your environment gives you a very intuitive way to understand uh, the scale of something um, that that is something we couldn't do before that we can now easily do so that was pretty pretty clear like for example um, we published a piece about the um, rescue uh, in the Thai cave of this uh, boy's uh, you know, soccer team, yeah. riveting story. Um, part was of that story great. was um, was how much the cave actually changes um, as far as being this huge open spaces to these very tiny spaces that they had to crawl through. And you can you can tell people this, but with AR, we could actually use um, cross sections of the cave, the exact parts that they're talking about. Um, and project them into your space at real scale so you could just see exactly how big that space was. Yeah. That's that's something new, and that was something really interesting about it. Um, so it's not overly complicated, but it's just a really valuable use case. Yep. Um, the next part of this vision was kind of uh, around mode of interaction. Um, AR feels like a way to minimize abstraction with the way that we interact with um, content. You know, we've gotten used to the idea that there's a layer of abstraction. Pinch to zoom, um, swipe, tap, you know, tap, all these kind of things that live between you and the way you interact with um, content that's not yeah. particularly human, right? It's learned in that sense. Um, there's something really nicely intuitive about presenting things with AR because it says the mode of interaction for inter interacting with the, these things is the same as the way you would interact with things in the real world. You know, if we can project something and if you want to see it up close, you walk up to it. If you want to see it from the other side, you walk around it. Mm -hmm. um, and we can build interactivity into that kind of more human movement uh, as well. So that was kind of number two. Um, the third part was... Uh, I guess you could call it make graphics big again. Um, if you've worked in this world long enough, you've seen um, the 
kind of surface that we published to shrink. We had these beautiful, big two-page print spreads. We could do these, you know, nice, big graphics, lots of room to spread out, you know, big desktop displays. But now, you know, the main uh, way that readers actually access what we publish is through mobile phones. So it's shrunken down to this little two-inch screen. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been a challenge has been kind of, I mean, for all the amazing things that we can now do with mobile, the actual size of the display is, is pretty small where most of the pe- time people are going to see this work. So um, it's kind of been a challenge, I'd say. But with AR, we can give you something that feels large again. For you, We can put a four-foot-wide diagram on the table in front of you and... Sure, it's still the same device, it's still the same small screen, but because because of that mode of interaction, because you're moving around it, it feels like a large visual um, that you can interact with. And yeah, and the fourth part was really about leaning um, into the near future of how we might consume information. Um, this idea that the mobile phone is not the last form factor through which we're going to um, publish and through which readers are, gonna, are going to um, access what uh, the work in our, in our journalism generally. So <clears throat> it's a way to kind of explore this, this world of spatial computing, which mm-hmm. is kind of seen as the next way that we interact with information on the devices that people have today. So it's a perfect pause point in our conversation because... Perfect. Kamari shows up. Should I? I'll go grab her. We have figured out uh, how to get into the same place at the same time. And so so the rest of the time, Kamari and I take turns volleying questions at Graham. She does a pretty brilliant job. And Graham offers some insights on her questions I think you're going to love. I'm really glad to be here. Um, You know, my name is Kamari Rennes. Um, Something that's similar between us is that... Um, We both do work in journalism. Um, I'm a game reviewer for the New York Video Game Critics Circle. Very cool. Um, And a lot of the games that I've done um, are tied to VR and AR experiences, and I've gotten a grasp of that of my own. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, what prompted you to pursue the career of AR and VR and establish a connection between that and your writing? Well, so I didn't set out necessarily to pursue VR and AR. Um, my pers- my What I was doing here initially was just an interest in visual storytelling. Uh, I didn't even set out to really do journalism, to be honest. I was interested in more abstractly, I'd say the intersection of arts and technology, um, and how how storytelling fits in to that, and um, kind of found my way to journalism, and then just found that I really loved uh, the mission, the sense of purpose, the, the you know reaching, especially from you know a pr- place like the New York Times, the platform you'd have to really make an impact with a lot of people. Um, and um, also the pace of, of, of this. I mean, a lot of, a lot of worlds where 
that are doing similar kind of work, the pace is a lot different. You're working on, you know, if it's special effects in a film or, 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 or something like that, you know, you're working on the same thing for years at a time. Whereas in journalism, you're really like on to the next thing, you know, a few weeks, you know, months at most, sometimes single days or hours, and, and you really just have to figure out what's the best way to communicate this right away. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was in particular, uh, you know, what I was really interested in here, what I felt that I could really bring to this organization was an evaluation of technologies as they emerged and thinking about how they could be applied to the way that we communicate and how that could offer new opportunities to, you could say, reduce the distance between um, information that we gather as journalists um, to understanding conveyed or, you know, information conveyed to an audience. Um, You know, words are not going to go away. Words will always be very important, but Mm -hmm. words are not always the way to make that distance the shortest. Sometimes it's a photograph. Sometimes it's a interactive data visualization. Sometimes it's augmented reality. Um, When I began here, VR and AR was not even remotely a thing yet. Um, But uh, I think maybe in 2014, around there, I started to notice virtual reality was becoming a more viable technology and and it looked... uh, interesting enough to really explore it and see, okay, could this be a technology that we would, could use um, to enhance our report, to tell stories in a different way that would give you a different kind of understanding or a different entry point into a story. Um, and the same thing with augmented reality really more recently, um, as technologies have come to be able to support doing this on a scale that was appropriate for a place like the New York Times. Um, so that that's kind of how I found my way to this. It's really like to summarize, it's looking out for technologies and seeing how they could be adapted to this to this world. So um, as you became more interested in um, AR and VR or like seeing the possibilities that could arise from it, you chose to implement that with journalism as a way of documentation, but also spreading that story that you're interested in. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that different mediums have, you know, their their strengths. Um, and th- we haven't figured them all out for these newer technologies, but, like, you know, VR, uh, having done that for a little bit longer now, we really found it was... What it did more than other things was create a sense of place, a sense of presence. Um, that that was seemed to be the best thing that that medium could be used to to do. Um, AR, I think we're still figuring it out, but we've kind of um, you know, and we actually went through a kind of editorial, you know, vision or perspective that we would take um, of where that where that kind of approach to visual storytelling would do something that others couldn't do quite as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, has your job at, has your job at, um, the New York Times shifted over time as you moved over to focusing on those types of technology? And from what you've learned so far, what can AR and VR be used for? Yeah, I think um, 
the job has definitely changed in the sense that you know now I'm more you know directing this specific initiative to look at these technologies and and really figure out what does it mean how is it important for us and what does it mean right now what is it going to maybe mean in a few years but on the other hand it's it hasn't changed too much in the sense that it's still the same concept of looking for emerging technologies looking for emerging platforms and trying to understand how we can best use those in a smart way to improve uh, our, our storytelling and our journalism um, from my experience with the New York video game critic circle um, the view of AR and VR are similar but also different in the way that I review video games using a VR headset yeah. and through that I get to see stories being told from the game and I get to um, like feel I get to place myself in those worlds and I get to experience the world around me and exper experiment and um, like interact with the world like would that be similar to what the technologies you view are like how are they aligned in a way? Like experiencing the world game-wise to utilizing that for other purposes. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still figuring that out in many ways. Um, VR was used often um, in tandem with writing that was being done or you know, other, other ways of reporting stories to to just bring you into that place in a way to put you there, um, bring you somewhere, a reader somewhere they maybe couldn't be otherwise. Like we did a piece on, on, on Mecca where, you know, most people um, can't go to Mecca or will never be able to go there. We could give you the sense of being there in a way that was, it felt different from showing you a video of it or photography mm -hmm. of it. It just, it, it put you there. Um, and I think that's what you mean when you're, when you're, Mm -hmm. the way you're describing reviewing the games. Um, AR is a little bit different. It's more about, I think, I think one way we've thought about it is, you know, if what we were doing with VR was about putting you there, then AR was about bringing it to you, bringing the news to you. So it me that meant, you know, if we were covering, you know, a story about a gallery opening that had art objects, we could capture that object and, and bring it to our readers as if it was right there in front of them, which is a lot different from seeing a small photo of it on your phone. You know, when, with the David Bowie piece that we published, we could put these art objects directly in front of you in the real scale, all five foot 10, you know, 23 inch waist of David Bowie. <laughs> um, and his incredible, you know, fashion pieces right in front of you in, in a way that you know, only if you could get to the Brooklyn Museum, you'd even be able to experience it that way. But um, we could give you a pretty good approximation of that um, that felt a lot closer than other ways of capturing it. I mean, it would, it would be like it's really there with you. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're still figuring out all the things that we can do on top of this technology. Uh, I think that'll take some time to really flesh out. But Krim, yeah. you studied... Um 
you studied computer science as a student. Um, and one of the things I'm wondering is knowing what you do now about the work that you do and, and, uh, this kind of immersive technology for this context is very different from um, immersive technology you might build for whether it's entertainment or uh, other things. So one of the questions I have for you is, is for uh, if, if you could have tailored your education to be doing what you are now, right? So for a young for a student who's thinking, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to think about, like, I want to do immersive experiences for news. Um, what's the right training for that? Well, there's, I guess, a couple ways of looking at it. If we just talk about technical training, um, I'd say the main skills just practically that come up are um, web development skills, um, game engine development skills. So, um, you know, we, we develop in, you know, more native packages like SceneKit um, for iOS, for example, but Unity, Unreal, uh, those kind of skills were mm -hmm. definitely in short supply when we started this. Um, 3D modeling skills, for sure, have been really important. Um, and uh, photography. So I think there's like, you know, and coding, for sure. So the, the, all of these things are really um, important um, as part of a uh, curriculum to, yeah. to be able to do this work. Are there things that, um, in if you're doing immersive for the times, that you find maybe you get n new students in the studio, uh, are there things with respect to ethics, right, in reporting the news, which is ultimately what these immersive experiences are about, that you have to teach someone with more of a computer science background frequently? Um, the interesting thing about the people who work on this stuff here is that they're, I mean, they're not just web developer. They're not just game engine uh, expert. They're also editors, actually. So, um, that's one of the difficult things actually about finding talent for this. It's not really enough to just have this particular skill that's needed. You have to have the skill plus you have to have some demonstrated news judgment and uh, skills in storytelling. Um, so the skills are almost like a side, a side note. A bunch of people get together and yes, one person maybe is more the web developer and maybe yes, one person is more um, the game engine person, and yes, maybe someone is more the um, 3D modeling person, but but everybody's talking about crafting the story together, and everyone's talking about why we're telling the story this way together, and everyone's you know expressing that news judgment together. Um, that's just the nature of how things work here, um, where it's less it's less of like a very hierarchical, you know, it's coming from the top and getting assigned and you just do the work. Mm -hmm. It's much more collaborative than that. Yeah. So with that in mind, the idea of various skills being put together to make this project, how would you balance your work with AR and journalism if um, there isn't the established idea that they're two separate careers, that they're one? How would you organize that? 
So like we were talking about like different skill sets that would otherwise be two different careers, putting them together, how would you organize that for your work? Um, it's organized kind of in the way that, um, you know, explaining in that what comes kind of first is this idea that you are an editor concerned with how to tell stories and how to tell stories ethically and how to um, express the journalism and, and, and news in, in the best form, whatever that might take, you know. Um, once we figure that out, then, you know, if we say, oh, you know what, this is a good story, it has potential to be told in an augmented reality, an augmented reality kind of um, uh, form, that's when we look to see, okay, what skills do we have on this desk to make sure that we can actually produce this and pull that off? But um, it's not, it doesn't necessarily start with, okay, we have to make an AR thing, so we need these skills and pull them together. It's more, comes out of the, the need of the, the story to be told in that way. Mm-hmm. So is it is it fair to say that you guys work more as, as sort of a production team than... Um, so, like, the, the way that you just described it, I think of, um, you know, you're, you're thinking of, like, here's here's the arc of the story we want to tell and how we want to tell it, and here's how we want to deploy this technology to tell this piece of it or to describe this one piece of it. And then it's really a matter of, of sort of, like, put you know, the team then puts that together however... Um, so it almost, my point is it feels more like production work, like you're putting together a, a, a documentary than it does straight, um, like the system of how news gets to, you know, like uh, how reporters do their job or how a thing, a site gets programmed, for example. Um, I think that's what you're asking in, in a way, at least that's what I'm asking is, um, is that more the system with which your team kind of gets to work is sort of the, like, here's the story we're going to tell as a team and then you get to it? Or is it individuals are telling stories and then um, and then you come together to decide which piece you want to pull out to add technology to? Well, so we've started with this um, editorial perspective on what we can use this kind of technology for. The, the immediate team is definitely looking for um, opportunities for immersive storytelling um, to start with. Um, we can fi- we've, we've found ways that we think that will work really well and we'll, that story will come directly from us. Um, but we've also spent time educating other desks around the newsroom about what are good use cases for this technology to deliver uh, a story in, in a different way than they've done before. Um, so, for example, uh, the Metro Desk uh, recently did a story, or had planned a story for a while about the uh, uh, the original Liberty, uh, you know, Lady Liberty Torch being moved um, to a more permanent home where people could see it. Um, they came to us and said, "Hey, this kind of seems like a good opportunity for for you know a simple AR moment within our article." Um, so we talked it through and we realized, yeah, it'd be great. People, instead of showing people a picture or just or just showing them a photograph of, of the torch, we could capture it and we would have special access to do this. Um, 
capture it in its entirety and allow you to project it into your space in true scale if, if you had the room for it or you know smaller if you needed but to actually walk around and interact with it and um and that's what we ended up doing so it's it's the kind of thing where you know it was really the idea actually came from outside of our immediate group but but it's a very collaborative kind of newsroom in that way i mean they they came to us, we made suggestions, and we were able to pull it off kind of all together. Um, one question I had, and I wanted to know what you thought of it, was um, what if your audience doesn't have the technology or necessarily the accessibility to the stories that you want to tell? Um, and if so, like, what extent would you go to make sure that your audience gets that experience? So that changes all the time. Um, already from you know from when we launched this in February, um, and you know this AR or the spatial computing platform, whatever you want to call it, um, many many more people can actually access these experiences because you know as new phones come out, every new phone can do this. People have uh, fewer people have older devices that don't support this, but we don't want to publish a story where the only way that you can get the information is if you have a compatible device that's not really going to work so we we have published every piece in two flavors you could say where mm-hmm. one offers the ar for people who can engage with it um and you can we also publish it in a form where it's um all of the same information often the same actual assets but designed in a way that doesn't require, um, you know, the newest phones or, or you to engage with it, you know, in that way. The other thing is, um, AR is it has to feel additive. It has to feel like um, we're giving you this enhanced experience, but not in a way that you feel forced to interact in a way that might not be convenient, maybe not even able. You know, in terms of accessibility. Um, so, even if you have a device that you could see these things, we don't want to force you into a mode that you don't want to be in. I mean, you know, people use their phones. Sometimes they're lying in bed with, in the first thing in the morning, with one eye open, and they're holding their phone over them. You really want? Is that person really want to have to get up and you know place information into their space and walk mm-hmm. around? They probably not. So. It's not just about device support. It's also about giving people some options and how they want to consume mm-hmm. information. Uh, so we've thought about that a lot. And it, it makes production a lot more complicated because we're kind of making two versions of everything. Take the audience but, into account. Yeah, absolutely. I actually love some of the stuff. Like I'm thinking of your the Olympics coverage you guys did. Um, the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Um, I love it. Like, if some of the um, web work that you guys did to come up with a a midpoint between the actual augmented experience and uh, something that's just more two-dimensional or or straight ahead kind of web page um i love that middle that you guys came up with where you know in a in a browser you know you're basically um it's a really simple way to sort of animate a, an image and layer the story on top of it. And I actually find it really 
complete in some cases i like those versions better yeah than the full version right i've heard that before um so yeah i mean the olympics for in ar what, what we did for that piece was we we scanned athletes demonstrating their form that they need to um you know perform uh their you know incredible feats of whatever their sport is um in ar we project them in front of you in that form um, in real scale and the interactivity is moving around them and as you move around them you move into different information zones that highlight different aspects of what makes them so good at what they do um, but the what we call the fallback version which I, I don't really like the term because I really feel that it's equal in a way um, it's the exact same assets the exact same scans um, but more of a WebGL, for the technical term, uh, you know, approach, where it's completely scroll-based and it's it's now not augmented into your space, but you get the same information mm-hmm. uh, designed in a different way that as you're scrolling through. Um, so I think both are both are great, and you know, really depends in, in how you want to consume that information. Kamari, do you have any any sort of final questions before we wrap with with Graham? Let's see. I learned a lot from this talk. Oh, great. I'm really excited. Um... While you look, I have a question. There are two things I'm really interested in. One is just your perspective on, uh, like, what do you think the big, when we look back 10 years, like, what do you think the dancing, uh, dancing monkey, dancing alien mistake of AR and VR is going to be, right? Like, what are the things that you're seeing out there that are just like, ugh, you know, enough of that. Uh, it's just not making, it's not doing what, um, like it's not benefiting people. It's not benefiting the progress of the technology, uh, kind of thing. So that's one question is like, what mistakes are you seeing? Um, my other question is what form of immersive technology you've done a lot of different things, right? Like you've done documentaries that are immersive. You've done, um, you've done work that is very web-based and, you know, I'm curious for you personally at the moment, um, what are you feeling is the most kind of important or the most impacting uh, immersive technology right now, sort of at this at this point in time, whether that's in the context of everything that's going on in the world or, or just sort of like what the moment is most ripe for in terms of what people have access to versus what you can develop? Um, um, I think the mistake that I see is... Um, people trying to do too much with AR on the phone. Mm. The phone is not a native AR device. It's just the device that we all have now. Mm -hmm. It's the device with the audience. And you can do a lot on a phone, for sure. I mean, what, uh, what the phone is offering now is not the immersion, the full immersion that, um, some of these wearable, you know, head-mounted, head, heads-up display, mm-hmm. you know, devices are doing. But what it does have is the scale, reaching a lot of people, which replacing New York Times is very important, of course. Yeah. And it has six stuff, six degrees of freedom, which, which I've realized is really kind of the most compelling part. It's that mode of interaction with the with the information. Um, 
And if you if you try to have all of those things, you know, the six stuff, the audience, and the immersion, you just they're just not there. The 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 headsets that can do six stuff and have that immersion don't have any audience, especially mm-hmm. not for the New York Times reader. I think that overlap is maybe three people or something. Mm. You know, it's not it's not a viable place to publish. Yeah. For gaming, it's different. Um, for installations, it's different. But if you want to reach a mass public with this kind of experiences, the phone has become a really interesting place to do it. But you still have to be cognizant of the fact that it's a phone and there's limitations to the way people actually want to interact with the phone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I feel like we, we've taken um, an approach that works well, which is to say, can let's just reduce this to the very core of what can be compelling and do just that and move on. So putting these, instead of having full press play AR experiences where you ask your audience to do so much in AR, you know, to tell the whole story there, we use words, photography, video, we surround these things we, with context of other forms and let the AR simply do standalone for what it does best. So, you know, if um, uh, we are talking about a piece with uh, that we did on, you know, the Mars Insight um, landing or launch to Mars. Um, it's still a written article. It has photography. It has some graphics in it. And we let you look at the lander in real scale and in, in space and show you an animation of how it's going to place things on the surface. And then you move on. You keep reading. Um, I think that works better than, than somehow trying to make all of this information work in in AR alone. I, I don't really think that these are the devices for that. I think that will come when native AR platforms are something that is in the world. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that's probably where I see them the, mo- the, the most trouble. Well, you know, with, with, in terms of what I think people are doing oh, wrong. Mistakes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the other question was, oh, what's the most important thing? Um, I think right now, what uh, what we're seeing with AR kit and AR core and mobile devices is the most important thing because it's introducing many people to the concept of spatial computing and to this concept of a merging of our physical and digital lives into one thing. Mm. Um, computers were room sized, then they were, uh, you know big ugly boxes under our desk and then they were on our laps and then with mobile they became indispensable things that were on us at all times there's a pattern here technology is becoming closer and more inseparable from our lives but it's still relegated to these little rectangles and it's awkward and if you look at uh the way people interact with information is very inhuman it's like we're staring down at these little squares all the time not looking where we're going not interacting with one another um there's something very compelling to me about this more human mode of interacting with information where it's just mixed into our physical lives more naturally. Um, so obviously AR on a phone, you're still looking at your phone, but it's kind of leaning towards that. It's kind of giving people an idea. There's a different way that we could be interacting with information than we do now. Um, so that starts to demonstrate how things will probably change over the next decade and how we interact with information. So I 
like to think of it less as um, maybe individual technologies, but more like the phone is not the, the end point. There is going to be something that comes after the phone. It's probably an immersive platform. Um, and it's probably coming sooner than later. For people who heard you say six DOF and are like, what the what? Six DOF? Can you, can you just describe that in your words? Yeah. Uh, six DOF, which is six degrees of freedom, simply means that you can move about freely through the world in relation to the digital content that you are consuming. So if I project... Uh, you know, if you if you use your your New York Times app to project a um, a uh, you know three D object of some kind into the world, you can you can look at it from the floor. You can walk around to the other side of it. You can walk up to it real close and see details. You can step back from it. Um, you can interact with it as freely as you would a real object in the real world, as opposed to you know. 360 video, which you could call three dot or three degrees of freedom, you only have the ability to look around. You can't move forward or back or around that space. You're you're stuck to the point at which it was captured. Um, so I learned a lot about your insight from AR apart from mine, which is like tailored to gaming. And I, when you were talking about the different limitations and like the differences and how we immerse ourselves in these worlds to learn, like I noticed that like there is going to be something that would help us push towards more immersive technology because not everyone not everyone can afford a $300 VR headset and nor can everyone afford like the latest iPhone or something that can truly capture these AR experiences and your work in making that accessibility better is like really remarkable and I love your insight and with the immersive capabilities of your work and the things you do what extent would you go to implement this in the education system I think it's going to be huge for education um, education is all about engagement and getting people excited about learning and I think that you know, people don't learn well when it's too abstract and they can't really understand how, they can't relate to it. You know, I think that's where education really fails people. Um, and uh, being able to really interact with something you're learning about, uh, you know, whether it's about it being physically there or you being transported to a place to learn about it, um, I think it's going to add a lot and just really get students excited and really engaging with it in ways that um, they couldn't quite do with, you know, just a textbook you know, in the past. Um, and also this whole idea of removing layers of abstraction. I think when you make things more intuitive, learning um, happens more quickly. And, and one of the things that I care a lot about immersive is that it hopefully starts to make our interaction with digital information and information more human uh, and more intuitive and less behind layers of abstraction and I can I can only think that that would um, enhance learning for students mm -hmm. 
And my last question, um, how would you visualize the ideal or next immersive technology to be? Like, what do you think it would be? Well, I think where this all goes is to some kind of uh, a wearable display. Um, that, you know, actually it's all gonna become a fashion problem, frankly. The mm -hmm. final frontier is, is the face, you know? <laughs> to get somebody to wear something on their face. And that's what this really is. It's, you know, humans are first and foremost a visual species. Um, that's our strongest sense. That's, that is um, far and above our most sophisticated sense. Um, so it's going to be through some sort of, you know, whether it's glasses or something like that, that that's going to be the way that we mix this digital world into our physical world. Um, but there's a long way to go before the platforms are at a form factor where it's something that people are going to be willing to wear, especially if they don't even wear glasses, you know, normally. Like, it has to be that compelling, and it has to be um, that well-designed. Um, I think that's probably the next challenge before this becomes something, before this becomes the, you know, successor to the phone and becomes something that people are using in, instead of a phone. I just want to say a uh, really huge thanks to you uh, for spending the time with us. Thank you. It's fine. Um, very much appreciated and thank you for all the work at the Times. I think you guys are doing amazing stuff. Thank you very much. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in Episode Zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This show would not be possible without the support from the good people at Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org.